Good morning. Good to be here in Andover. All the way from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Not Lancaster, Lancaster. Lancaster, yeah. So it's good for Sherlin and I to be here. We enjoy our connection and our friendship and our association with Pastor Jim and Shelley and uh, this congregation. We've been, I think we were here once before, 2016. Man, that's a long time ago, isn't it? Six years. Huh? You still remember it. All right. And uh, we appreciate the heart of uh, this church and this congregation to reach your community and, and beyond with the gospel and the people's lives that are being ministered to here week after week. And um, I just got back from India on Tuesday, and um, so my body is trying to figure out what time it is. <laughs> Ten and a half hours difference over there. But uh, traveled over there with my sister Sadie. Uh, I have 11 siblings, 12 of, 12 of us, and I'm the oldest, and my sister Sadie is number nine. And uh, six of us graduated from Rama Bible Training Center and the uh, same Bible school that Pastor Jim and Shelley uh, graduated from. Six of us graduated from there, three, three uh, brothers and three sisters. And she's one of them, and she did a great job. And so what we did is we... Uh, Rama has six campuses in India, and we uh, preached in one of them. I don't know if you know this, but Rama Bible Training Center now has approximately 280 campuses around the world. And uh, isn't that amazing? <laughs> when Dad Hagen went home to be with the Lord, there was 14. And so since he went to be with the Lord, it has just mushroomed, and there's, been, there's 280 all over the world. I think, in, I think in 55 nations, I may not have that number exact, but uh, close to it. And um, so uh, we... we uh, Sadie and I each did a 12 and a half hour course uh, at Rama Chandigarh in India, in the Punjab state. And that was my 22nd trip to India. I love India. I've uh, been going there since 1980. And um, so we enjoyed, we enjoyed that. Uh, now, your you're, you're, um, uh, pastor, Jim, you know, he's a teacher. I mean, you know, he could probably just go on hour after hour after hour. I listened to his message from last week from Romans chapter 4, where he talked about, uh, what did he talk about? He talked about uh, calling those things that be not as though they were, right? And um, so I enjoyed that message. I always like to go on the website of the church we're going to and kind of check things out, see what they're doing. And uh, so that was, that was great. But what I wanted to say was, you know, I'm more of a preacher than I am a teacher, I think. And uh, so when somebody tells me to to teach 12 and a half hours on a subject, I'm like, really? Is there that much to say about any subject in the world? Now, Jim, he could probably go on and on and do 50 hours on a subject. But uh, anyway, but I made it. I made it through. Actually, Sadie took two of my sessions. <laughs> she, I did a 12. My course was on leadership and hers was on spirit-led prayer. And she's just, she was just phenomenal. Uh, on that, and uh, and then we preached at three churches there, and 
also did two pastors' conferences. Worship Center, uh, the church that we uh, pioneered way back in 1977, uh, we have two. We have a network of churches and ministers, and we have two Indian ministers that have networks of their own in India. So we went there and did a pastors' conference in each of those places as well. So I just got back on Tuesday, and uh, this was it was a great trip. I love India. India is my favorite nation to go to. I don't know why. I like all the chaos and everything. If you ever go there, everything's on the road. I mean, you can go down the road, down the roads of the city of Calcutta, and there can be trucks and and thousands of motor scooters and and cars and taxis and elephants and and uh, oxen carts and cows and just everything's on the road. I took my uncle with me one time and he just could not figure out why those cows are out there on the road. He said, whose cows are they anyhow? <laughs> well, you know, in India, the cow's sacred. So the cows just run all, I mean, they're just everywhere. They're right out in the middle of the road. You've got to stop for them, just like you do a pedestrian. Yeah, you don't eat beef in India. No, 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 they're sacred. Anyway, so... Um, I just love, I love going there. I love the Indian people. Been there 22 times, like I said. And um, so, a little bit about us. Uh, I was raised Amish. Any of you know about the Amish? Few of you do. So, from Lancaster County, Amish, I was raised in a family of 12. And um, I left the Amish when I was 18 because I wanted a car. It was nothing spiritual for me. I just wanted a car and electricity and a radio. That's what I wanted. <laughs> you know, somebody said to me one time when we had a snowstorm, they said, wow, you know, it's really tough being without electricity for four or five days. I said, that's nothing. I was without electricity for 21 years. <laughs> it does make a difference if you're used to it. And... Um, but I grew up Amish and always felt called to preach, uh, even as a little kid. And, uh, but I didn't know how that would happen because the Amish people, they don't, you're not allowed to go to high school. You're not allowed to go to college. So I only have eighth grade education. Didn't know what Bible school would accept me as a student. And, uh, but I never got saved till I was 24. You know, when you're, when you're Amish... When you turn 16, you kind of feel like you get this badge of freedom. And you kind of go out there and you just do your own thing and get really wild. Uh, most, uh, some of us do. I did. I, got, I went really wild for a long time, which I regret now, but that's the way it is. And uh, in all of that, got married to Sherlin because my parents made me promise I would go to church somewhere. Church attendance to the Amish people is very important. So I went to a church called Stumptown Mennonite Church. Not because I was saved, not because of anything like that, because I was a partier, but because my parents wanted me to go to church. I said, all right, I'll go to church. And uh, then I liked these girls that were there. <laughs> yeah, back in the day, the men sat on one side and the women on the other. So I'm sitting over here and all the girls are sitting over there and I'm glancing over there all the time. And that's, I spotted her. I'm thinking, hmm, I think I'm going back there. I like that church. And uh, so we 
were introduced to each other and got married in 1968. So we've been married 54 years. <laughs> 54 years. How did that happen? <laughs> How many years you've been married? Nine. Man, you're a young whippersnapper. I'm telling you, with that hair and everything you got there. Nice, nice. Yeah. How do you do that, anyhow? Man, it looks good. Uh, 54 years, we have four children, one in heaven, three on the earth. We have eight grandkids and four great-grandkids. And uh, so uh, finally we found, uh, got saved in, at age 24, and what I felt as a little kid really came up in front of me really strong, and I didn't know what to do with it. Uh, only eighth grade education, and um, so finally, we had a, we had started a Bible study. Seven of us had gotten baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we were in the Church of the Brethren, and got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they didn't like that, so they kindly asked us to leave, and we started our own Bible study. And that Bible study grew to about a hundred people in someone's house on a Tuesday night. Wow. And one night in that Bible study, somebody handed me a Word of Faith magazine. And in this Word of Faith magazine, it had a little article in there that said, uh, new Bible school starting, Rhema Bible Training Center, in fine print, no high school diploma needed. Oh, I said, that's where we're going. <laughs> so we packed up our two little girls and we went to Rhema and uh, graduated. It was only nine months school, like I said, and graduated and didn't know where we're going. Didn't know what we would do. Always had a secret desire to come back to our home area and minister there. You got to watch those secret desires because God will give them to you. And uh, so the eighth month of a nine month course, I said to Sherilyn one day, what are we going to do? Because we, we, we didn't know. And she would constantly say, we will have a place to minister. And so that day when I said that, she looked at me, said, we will have a place to minister. I said, okay. All right, then we'll have a place to minister. And soon after that, somebody contacted us and said, there's a small group of people back here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, that would like to start a church. Would you come back and be the pastor? First, I said, no, I didn't think I'd be a pastor. I thought I'd be an evangelist. And, um, but then I found out that if you're a pastor, you can also be an evangelist, a pastor evangelist, uh, combination is really good because it puts a, a thread of evangelism in your congregation. And that's what happened through the years. And so we came back in the beginning of June of 1977 and just began ministering at 25 people. And to our surprise, we were the, mo <laughs> we were the most surprised. People started to come. <laughs> we were like, really? <laughs> and people, and you know, back then, there was pockets of revival in America, and Lancaster County was one of them. The Jesus Festival started there and all of that way back then, and uh, it just was a pocket of revival, and people were just hungry for God. And it's good to be hungry for God. How many of you are hungry for God? It's a good thing. It's a really good thing, and people were not satisfied with their, many of them with their denominational churches. I have nothing against denominational churches, so don't misunderstand me. But they just weren't satisfied, and so people started to come, and, and the church grew really fast, and 
and we just were trying to keep up. And so we served there as pastor for 40 years, and, uh, but uh, always felt like it'd be 40 years, even before we said yes and come back. I felt I got a word one day in my spirit that said 40 years, but I thought Jesus would come back before then, so I didn't, wasn't concerned about it. Until like 35 years into it, I said to Sherlyn one day, hey, this, this could actually happen. And uh, so we made a plan, uh, had a four-year transition plan where we gave the lead pastor role, the senior pastor role, over to Matt Milan. He was in our church since he was four years old. And uh, he, so he's been lead pastor there now for five and a half years and doing a great job. And uh, that's our home church. I have an office there. We oversee our our network of churches and ministers and also serve as a regional director, as Pastor Jim said, for RAMA, for RMAI. And so we're enjoying this season of our life. And um, we, want, we love to encourage pastors and churches and, and we travel around the world. And, and so that's what we're doing. So are you all ready for the word? Yeah. All right. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And I want to read a couple of verses here. I love the word of God, changed my life. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. <laughs> Him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and receive from me everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. A little background about this, these few verses. This book is a letter, or this, these verses are part of a letter, that is written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. Paul wrote this letter from prison. You need to remember that. Because of his boldness in preaching... About Jesus, the religious leaders in that day would try to stop him. They would find ways to falsely accuse him of things he didn't do. He would end up in prison for his faith in Jesus Christ. And this church, this church at Philippi, was born out of that kind of persecution. So Paul is in prison again, writing this letter to this congregation and to us. Because the Bible is also to us today. To help us with our lives today. Paul would turn his pain and prison experiences into writing letters to churches, encouraging them. Paul's relationship with Jesus was his number one priority. At one time in his life, he was determined to have Christians arrested and even agreed to their killing for their faith in Jesus. But then he had an encounter with Jesus. How many of you are glad that you had an encounter with Jesus? That changed his life forever and put him on a new path and purpose. Now, he was just as passionate 
to live his life for the glory of God as he was previously in destroying people who had faith in Jesus. He was steadfast in his love for for Jesus and nothing deterred him from following God's plan for his life. So today, for a few minutes, we're looking at the last part of this letter to this church. And as I was reading this again, just the other day, five words stood out to me. Five words that will, uh, for us to consider this morning. The first one is the word joy. When he said, when he said, rejoice, always be full of joy in the Lord, I say it again. This is verse four. Rejoice. He's in prison. (laughs) He's in prison saying that to the people. So joy here is an attitude that is deeper than a smile. Right? Deeper than the circumstances that I'm going through. This is deeper than eternal. This is deeper than external things. This is a joy that comes from an inner confidence and strength not based on external circumstances. And this confidence and strength comes from knowing what Jesus did for us on the cross when he died and gave his life for our salvation. How many of you are glad for that? This joy comes from knowing that our sins are forgiven and forgotten. And that all things are new when we accept Jesus as our Savior. And that we have a home in heaven after this life. (laughs) How many are glad about that? Have a home in heaven after this life. So that's what this joy that... Paul talks about is based on. It's based on scriptures, scriptures like scriptures, scriptures like this. Any man who is in Christ is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm so glad that all things have become new for me. I tell you, before I got saved, I wasn't a very nice guy. No, just ask Charlotte. She had to lock me out of the house. Yeah, I was into alcohol so much, I'd come home drunk and get sick. And she finally got tired and said, I'm not letting you in the house. Good for her. Now, we lived in Phoenix, Arizona, the first four years of our life. And so she knew that I wouldn't freeze to death in Phoenix. Because it doesn't get that cold there. So when she locked me out of the house, I'd just lay out in the backyard till morning. That's not very funny, is it? But anyway, you got to laugh at it anyhow. But uh, they got my attention. Got my attention. When she started doing that, I just thought, I gotta, I'm either going to lose my marriage or I'm going to have to give my life to Jesus. Because growing up in the Amish family, even though it's very religious, you do know about Jesus. And you do know about, uh, about God. And uh, so I knew what I had to do. And so... Um, That got my attention when she started doing that. Any man who's in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen. Amen. (laughs) And then in 1 John chapter 5, I love this one. It says, and this is what he has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. 
life. Am I going in and out sometimes here? Should I put it over here? I'll put it over here. Well, maybe it is that. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Then I love this scripture. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. Everybody say no. That you may know, that you may know you have eternal life. That you may know you have eternal life. Growing up in the Amish tradition, we were taught you cannot know for sure. They don't believe in assurance of salvation. You cannot know for sure. So when I saw that, that I can know that I have eternal life, that's what began to bring me to Christ. That I could know that I could have eternal life. Then it says here in verse 5, Let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. And I thought, why did it put that in there? doesn't seem to go with it. And then I thought about what happens when we have the joy of the Lord in our lives. We become more considerate of people. We become more sensitive to people's needs. And... Um, so this kind of joy produces in us a gentleness of being or being considerate to others. Amen. The second word is worry. It says here, if I go back to the text in Philippians, it says, don't worry about anything. In verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Well, Pastor Sam, that's easier said than done. I know. Worry means to give way to anxiety or, or unease. It allows one's mind to dwell on difficulty or trouble. To dwell on difficulty or trouble. All of us have difficulty or trouble. Anybody in the room that has never had difficulty? If I would see a hand, I would want to talk to you afterwards. But worry is when we rehearse something negative in our minds that may or may not happen. Worry distracts our focus and can bring an inability to make decisions. Worry can paralyze our minds from thinking anything else. That's worry. First Peter 5 says, give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. How many of you are glad that God cares about you? <laughs> Amen. Then it says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Sometimes when we go through stuff, we think nobody has ever gone through anything like this. Yes, they have. Yes, they have. The enemy defeats us through our worries and our thoughts. The mind is his battleground. What about this scripture in Matthew 6.34? So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. <laughs> Today's trouble is enough for today. Right? My mom, she died at age 66, way too young. Maybe having 12 kids was too rough on her. I don't know. 
but she was a strong believer. And, uh, but she'd always say, you know, like, like if we would go home, even after we were married, Sherlock and I sometimes would go and visit, and maybe we had trouble with one of our kids or something, and we would ask him for advice, and my mom would always say, well, Samuel, take one day at a time. Take one day at a time. There's even a song like that, isn't there? One day at a time, sweet Jesus, or something like that. Right? You know how to sing it? Huh? You don't know how to sing it? (laughs) One day at a time, sweet Jesus. What are the next words? One day at a time. She'd always say that so much so that we wrote it on a ribbon and put it over her casket. One day at a time. Great lesson that we learned. You know, when she, when she was getting ready to go to heaven, all 12 of us are around her bed, all 12 kids. And um, she was still talking five minutes before she left. In a whisper, so we were leaning in. We wanted to catch every word. And uh, one thing she said was, I see a river. And we're like, really, Mom? See a river, and on the other side of the river, there's a spiral staircase, and somebody's standing at the bottom of the staircase, dressed in white, waving me to come. And we said, and we said well, Mom, just go. Just go. We'll be okay. And she left. Just like that. Breathe her last breath. I tell you, when you're in the room, when somebody dies, it brings heaven real close. Real close. I'll never forget when my father, he died at age 69, two years before her. And um, so he was, um, you know, he needed 24-7 care. But we kept him at home because seven brothers, we were able to take, take care of him. So we'd take turns staying with him uh, overnight and, and in the day. And uh, so the last night, my brother Steve and I were there. And I said to Steve, this was a Saturday night, Steve, I'm going to go home because uh, I need to preach. It was on a Saturday night. And uh, so I went home, and as soon as I got in the door, the phone rang. Steve said, you better come over. You better come back because uh, Pop, we call him Top Pop, is talking a lot about heaven. So I went right back and I came in the door and he told me to, he motioned me to come over to his bed. We had a hospital bed there and he said, um, he said, Sam, I think I'm going home today. I said, really, Pop? He said, yeah, I think I'm going home today. He said, do you think anybody will mind? <laughs> and I said, no, Pop. You go on. We'll take care of mom. Everything will be all right. Then he said, I want to see everybody. And so I called all my siblings. They all came and all the grandkids came. Everybody came. 
and he would know them by name. He'd kiss them on the cheek, and, and then about 8.30 that morning, uh, he said, um, is everybody here? I said, yep, everybody's here. He said, all right, I want to go now. So he sat up in his bed, and he started rocking back and forth. He said, come on, help me go. I want to go. And I said, well, Pop, I, I, I don't have control of this, so, so I, I, can't, I can't do this for you. So just, just sit back, just lay back, and let Jesus come get you. You know, so for the next four hours, we sang, and he sang with us. And several times he saw into the Spirit, and one time he said, Eli! And his brother on before him. Then I said, what did you, you say, Pop? He said, I see Eli, and Eli's motioning me to come and saying, why is it taking so long? (laughs) And another time, he said, who are those two people dressed in white at the bottom of the bed? Uh, I said, "I, I don't see anybody, Pop. Must have been angels or something. And uh, that made the hair stand up, man. And uh, so we were, he was even joking with us. He loved to play the card game Uno. Anybody play Uno? He said, if we play Uno in heaven, I'm going to beat all of you. (laughs) And then he just kind of drifted away. And that afternoon, about four o'clock, he went on to be with Jesus. Yeah. When you're with somebody, let me say it again. When you're with somebody, when they go on, it feels like heaven is real close. (laughs) Yeah. So, worry. How to get on that with worry? Anyway, uh, I had a doctor's report a couple years ago. And you know what you do when you get a doctor's report and they have, you know, saying there's something wrong? Nowadays, you go online and you research it. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but if you're not careful, you'll have yourself in a coffin. True, you'll have yourself in the coffin. And uh, I started researching, and I didn't like what I saw. I'm okay, by the way, I'm okay. And um, I'm not saying we shouldn't shouldn't research, but I think we should research the Word. (laughs) We should research the Word. Because too much news will bring and invite worry. Go to the Word that takes away worry. Five words to consider. Number one, joy. Number two, worry. And then number three, it says don't worry about anything. Instead, pray. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. The third word is prayer. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done. You know, our prayers need to be wrapped in thankfulness. Jesus loves when we thank Him. He does not like it when we don't thank Him. Remember the the ten lepers? One came back and thanked Him for healing Him. And Jesus said, where are the other nine? Is there only one that came back to, to say thank you? So He wants our lives to be lives of thanksgiving. So our prayers should come from a thankful heart. So how do we pray? Prayers can be filled with purpose an expectation, and not just empty words. Prayers based on God's Word 
and God's promises are powerful prayers. We were taught in Bible school, I'm sure Pastor Jim and Shelley remember this, that when we experience circumstances in life that are not good, you find scriptures in the Bible that pertain to your situation or your circumstance, and you begin to speak and pray and believe those scriptures over your situation. Like, for example, when COVID-19 came, Sherilyn and I right away went to Psalm 91. That's where we went immediately. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. For our God is our fortress and our shield. And will not fear the dreaded disease, is what it says there. And we would speak that over our lives and over our congregation and over our family. Rather than spending our time worrying. Find scriptures that cover your need and pray that over your situation. Praying diminishes worry. Use the energy that it takes to worry... To pray. Rather than speaking our worries, let's turn our worries into prayers. You know what else uh, has worked for me? Is to worship. Sometimes when you, sometimes when you're in a situation, you don't feel like praying, but you can worship. You just lift up your voice to God and worship. You know, I told you we have one uh, child in heaven. In 1974, we had a 16-month-old uh, son who got out on the road and was hit by a vehicle and died. He was killed. And uh, it was the worst day of our lives ever. And uh, that was a tough situation and circumstance to deal with. And so, you know, the first thing we did was, why, Lord? Why us? Why our little boy? You know, sometimes people say really stupid stuff when stuff like that happens. And when when stuff like that happens, you just go to the person and you're just there to support them. You don't have to say anything. No, you just go there. Because if you try to say stuff, sometimes you'll say stuff you'll regret. Like one person said, well, you know, uh, Pastor Sam, you know, um, uh, God needed another flower in heaven. And I thought to myself, God has enough flowers in heaven and my little boy is not a flower. So that didn't help. Right? I know they meant well. I know that. And another person said, well, you know... God knew that your little boy would not turn out well, so he decided to take him now. Well, what a stupid thing to say. I guess they thought that would bless us, but <laughs> that wasn't much of a blessing. So one day, a couple days after, someone said to me, I think that we should stop asking why and just worship God. And so we did. We did. We had our Bible study, like I mentioned to you before, in someone's home. After we got baptized in the Holy Spirit, this happened just 
little while after we got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And uh, Sherland was the worship leader at that Bible study. And so we went to that Bible study a couple days after it happened. She led worship, and we just worshiped with our friends. And you know what? It lifted us. It lifted us. We never, we never dove or went down deep into grief. We grieved. Of course we did. Did we have bad days? Of course. But it, it lifted us, though, and we didn't go into despair. Amen. And so worship will lift you. So if you don't know what to pray and how to pray or don't feel like praying, worship God. Like the woman that had a demon-possessed daughter came to Jesus. And Jesus didn't seem to pay any attention to her. And the Bible says that finally she knelt down in front of Jesus and began to worship Him. And Jesus told her, He said, Great is your faith. Your daughter is healed this very hour. So worship is very powerful. Five words that will, for us to consider today, Number one is joy. Number two is worry. Number three is prayer. Number four is peace. It says in verse seven, then, that means after you have prayed instead of worrying, after you have replaced worry with prayer, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds Anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That word guard means to be a watcher in advance. Jesus said, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart in John 14, 27. And he says, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. A peace that passes understanding. It comes from your spirit. And we all want peace in our lives. It's a gift from God. It's a gift. And what do you do, Christine? Christina? Sorry. Christina, well, I had part of it right. Christina, what do you do when somebody gives you a gift? You take it and receive it, exactly. Jesus said, I leave you with a gift. You don't, have to, you don't have to work for it. You don't have to pay for it. You just receive it. A gift of a peace of mind and heart. Amen? Amen? The fifth word is thoughts. Verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. And honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Fix your thoughts. means to take inventory. You can't always keep thoughts from coming. But we can choose what we dwell on. I like what Brother Hagen used to say. He said you can't keep birds from flying over your heads. But we can keep them from building a nest in our hair. Well, they'd have a hard time building a nest in my hair, but anyway. But we can build a mindset. Pastor Matt, Pastor Worship Center, he said a mindset is mine to set. 
Mindset. It's mindset. I have. I can build my mindset myself. I can choose what my mindset will be. Amen? Amen. What we dwell on becomes our mindset. We can build things into our lives that end up being our think tank. What you feed on, that ends up being your think tank. And then when you're backed in a corner by the enemy or something happens in your life, what's in there is going to come out. So you want to fill your think tank with the word of God and thoughts from God. Thoughts from his word. And in, in, I love what it says in Luke chapter 6 and verse um, 43. It says a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Are never gathered from thorn bushes. Grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. Produces good things of a good heart. So we have a treasury on the inside of us. And a person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. That's some of the things that your pastor, that Pastor Jim was talking about last week. So what we put in becomes our think tank. We can draw from that treasury. When things happen in our lives, the deposits we take, we make into that treasury is what we can draw out. In that way, we can choose. In that way, we can choose what thoughts we want to dwell on and what thoughts we need to filter out. So can we control our thoughts? Yeah, we can. But we have to fill our treasury, our heart, with the right things. Remember, thoughts become words, and words are powerful. So we want the right words to come out of our mouth. Amen? Amen. So peace is a result of what I'm talking about this morning... All of these five words, they culminate in the word peace. Because if you look at verse uh, 9 of our text, it says, Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So we can all be examples in what we talked about today and let our lives shine out in the world, in our own little world and be a beacon for Jesus. So let's take some action steps today in our lives. Maybe choose one or two of these things to step into. Joy, worry, prayer. What's the fourth one? Peace, and thoughts. And it all comes around, though, to peace. And let me finish by...
giving a, sharing a story. I read this story not too long ago. There was this artist's convention. And uh, in this artist's convention, they had a competition. And the competition was that all the artists that were there were to uh, paint a picture depicting peace. And so they, they painted pictures of meadows and brooks and streams and, you know, flowers and all kind of serene things except the person that won. The person that won painted a picture of a raging storm, thunder and lightning and a raging ocean crashing waves up against uh, the, the rocks and a, a raging storm. But in the middle of the rock, where the, ra- where, the, where the waves were crashing against, in the middle of the rock, there was a little opening. And in there was a little bird. And that little bird had a little nest with little ones in it. And that bird was singing. The bird was singing. And I thought to myself, we're that little bird. Yeah. We can sing in the middle of the storms of life. Amen. Amen. 